Convicted and Convinced, a message from God's Word for you. Here's Pastor Robert Manessis. I invite you to turn to the book of Matthew chapter 1. Matthew, first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And you can just say amen when you get there. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. All right, here we go. And the Bible says, the book of the genealogy of who? Of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. And then what he begins to do is he begins to go into the names, okay? Now, we don't have time to get into all the names there, but the point is in verse 17. The point is in verse 17. So, after the genealogy, he then comes to verse 17, and the Bible says, so all the generations from Abraham to David are how many? Fourteen, okay? Now, how many sevens are in fourteen? Two, okay? So, stay with me here. Matthew is doing something here very, 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 one more very interesting, okay? So, again, from Abraham to David are how many generations? Fourteen. And how many sevens are those? Two. And from David until the captivity of Babylon are fourteen generations. So, how many more sevens is that? Okay. So, how many sevens do we have in total so far? Yeah, you guys are smart, man. You guys like all engineer majors or what? Okay, so from Abraham to David is 14 generations. You with me? Okay, look at the screen here. Two sevens. From David to the captivity, it said 14 more generations. You guys are right. That's two more sevens. That's four sevens in total. Now we keep reading. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ, how many more generations? Fourteen, which is how many more sevens? Two more, which therefore gives us how many in total? Okay, now, look at what Matthew is doing. Six sevens, or three fourteen generations have passed. You with me so far? Okay. And then after the six sevens have passed, on the seventh, Christ is born. Now stay with me. How many sevens have passed? Six sevens. Therefore, there has been six sevens of generations, and that makes Jesus the beginning of the seventh seven. Does that make sense? I'm going to say that again. Fourteen generations from Abraham to David, that's two sevens. From David to Babylon captivity is another two sevens or 14 generations. Are you with me? From the captivity, okay, until Jesus, there are 14 generations, which are two more sevens, okay? So six sevens have passed, and Jesus, the Messiah, is born on the seventh seven. Are you with me? So in other words, 
Jesus is born on the 49th generation, and you might say, so what? But what Matthew is bringing out here is incredible, that Christ the Messiah was born on the seventh seven of generations. In other words, the 49th generation, Christ is born. Are you with me? What is Matthew trying to bring out here? Well, look at here, the screen. We are told in Leviticus 25 that the last year of the seventh period of seven years, the 49th year was to be a, what's the word there? A jubilee. In that year, all the slaves were to be freed and all debts were to be forgiven as well as the land was to rest. In the Old Testament, it was to them, look at this, that in the 49th year or the 7-7, it was a year of jubilee where the slaves were set free, where the captives were now to be set at liberty, listen, and the debts were returned and forgiveness was made. Are you with me? Now look at this. Leviticus 25, it says, and you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, and the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years. And you shall consecrate the 50th year. Now let's stop there. As I got, went through um, um, as I went through commentary after commentary, there is a debate, and well known, that the Jubilee year started in the 49th year, are you with me, and it bled or went into the 50th. So when it says, you shall consecrate the 50th year, it is well known by scholars that the Jubilee began not in the 50th year, but in the 49th year, and it went into the 50th year. Does that make sense? Now look, and proclaim, what's the word here? I want you to hold on to the word liberty. We're going to see it again from the mouth of Jesus. Are you with me so far? So again, in the 49th year, the jubilee year began, and that year, slaves were set free, the captives were, quote-unquote, released, debt was paid, and forgiveness was made. Are you with me? And Jesus came on the scene in the 49th year of generations. Are you with me? What do you think that Matthew is trying to bring out here? All the land, it shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his, return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. Look at this. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year you shall let him go, what? Free from you. Matthew is bringing out the point that Christ was born on a jubilee year. He came to set the captives free. It's not by accident that Matthew gives us that in verse 17, 14 generations, two sevens, 14 more generations, two more sevens, that's four, 14 more generations, that's two more sevens, that's six in total, and when Christ is born, he comes in the seventh seven or 49th year or jubilee year. Amen. And that's why when Jesus was in the synagogue in Luke 4, he says this. Go back to Luke 4. That's why when Jesus was there in the synagogue on the Sabbath, according to Luke chapter 4, 
he purposely turned to this part of Isaiah and read this. Jesus came to set the captives free. If you're in Luke chapter 4, you can say amen. And again in verse 16, the Bible says, Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16, again, Matthew is bringing out a point. So Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, Luke 4, 16. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on what day? On the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Verse 17. And he, Jesus, was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. So let me ask you a question. Was the place, what was the reading that Christ was supposed to read given to him yet? Or did he find where he wanted to read? Yeah, he found what he wanted to read. Are you with me? He was given the book Isaiah, but then he began to find, he has scrolls there, he began to find exactly the part of Scripture he wanted to bring out. Are you with me? And look at what Jesus says. Verse 18, And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, to the captives and recover the sight of the blind to set at, what's the word? Liberty, those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Amen. Christ comes and he says, let me tell you something. I'm here to set the captives free. That's what Matthew brought out in the genealogy. Are you with me? And then the Bible says in verse chapter 20, then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. So Christ came to set us free. Now, why would he have to do this? Why? When Adam and Eve chose to follow Satan rather than God, they, and in humanity, became slaves to a new owner. Did you know that? Did you know that? Because look what the Bible says here, Romans 6, 16. Look at the principle. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? The Bible has a principle. Whom you obey... You become that one slave. In other words, if you're a slave, you have a master. Are you with me? And there it is. When Adam and Eve chose to follow Satan's word over God's word, who did they choose to be their master by default? Satan. Humanity had a new master, the enemy. Are you with me? And therefore, if we had a new master... Somebody would have to come and retake what had been lost. Are you with me? Okay. Now look at this. Now we get deeper. Humanity was now slaves to the external power of death. All will die. No one can escape it. Yes? Okay, listen carefully. Humanity now was also slaves or captive to an external power called death eternal death. 
the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. That's eternal death. No resurrection there. Don't miss it. Not only was humanity now slaves to the enemy, and in a, in a sense, uh, his, his, uh, we are, he was our master because the Bible says, whom you serve, you will be slaves to. So we had to be, uh, we had a new owner called Satan, and then we were also captives to an external power called eternal death. Are you with me? And not only that, not only the external slavery, but humanity was in bondage to an internal slavery, the power of sin in their lives. That's why Paul says this in Romans 7. Go there. Stay with me. Christ was born on a jubilee year, not by accident. He came to set the captives free. First off, we were slaves to a master, and that was Satan, because the Bible says, whom you obey, you become slaves too. And therefore, if you're a slave, you have a master. And if Adam and Eve obeyed Satan, Satan the, became the master of the world. That's why Jesus said that Satan was the prince of this world. Are you with me? And then, not only did we have the master other than God, now humanity was facing a slavery of an external power called death. All will die, and you can't escape it. And not just the first death, but the second death, eternal death. Are you with me? And not only that, humanity was slaves to an internal power called the power of sin. That's why Paul says this in Romans 7. Say amen if you're in Romans 7. Look at verse 15, Romans chapter 7. Verse 15, and Paul says this in Romans 7, verse 15. It's, he says, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Can anybody relate to that? That the things that you don't want to do, you just can't seem to not do, and the things that you want to do, that you cannot do. You have no, no power. Are you understanding? Right? Now, go to verse... 18. Go to verse 18. Paul continues. For I know that in me, that is in the, what's the word there? In the flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin dwells in me. Paul is saying that there, I am a slave to this internal power of, of, of sin. I, I want to do good, but I can't, can't do good. And the good I want to do, I can't do. And maybe you and I have felt that. There is a tendency to lean to sin. Did you know that? There's an internal power of slavery that we're under. All have sinned. Now, listen again. I want to say it again. Repetition brings about understanding. Matthew says that Jesus was born in the 49th generation. What does that mean, Matthew? That Christ was born to set us free. Amen. Why would that need to be the case? Because when Adam and Eve chose to follow Satan rather than God, by them obeying Satan's voice, there's a principle. Whom you obey, you become slaves too. And humanity relinquished one master for another. Are you with me? And now Satan was the master. And then... 
Because of this, humanity were captives to an external power called eternal death. All will die. Are you with me so far? And then, not only that, they were slaves to an internal power, sin. Are you with me so far? Yes, sir. Jesus said this. It's on the screen. Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a what? Slave to sin. As legal property of Satan, slaves to an eternal death and the power of sin, how could man reverse what had happened? Owners now to a new master who is a lot more powerful than you and me. And slaves and captives to an external power called eternal death. And slaves to an internal power of sin. How could man ever go free from this slavery? Matthew says, Jesus came to set us free. We're going to get deeper. Go to Revelation 5. Take a look. You see, after Jesus died and rose, where did Jesus go back to? Hmm? Went back to the Father up in heaven. Are you with me? Okay? Need you awake. And in Revelation 5, it gives us the picture when Jesus returns as the victor, okay? And look at Revelation chapter 5, and something is brought out here very interesting. Revelation 5, and look at verse 6. Are you in verse 6? Okay? And the Bible says this. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne... And of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain. So let me ask you, who's the lamb that had been slain? Who is this? So here's my question. If the lamb had been slain, and now he's back with the Father, is this pre-incarnation or after his resurrection? Yeah, right? Or he wouldn't be the, the, the lamb slain yet. Are you with me? Okay? So this is post-resurrection. Christ has returned back to the Father. He's back to heaven there, and he's come as the victor. Can you say amen? Now, it keeps going. Stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns. Horns in the Bible represent power. Seven means completeness. He has complete power. Seven eyes. Eyes represent wisdom. God has complete wisdom. Can you say amen? And the seven spirits, the completeness of the Spirit of God sent out into all the earth. Now go to verse 8, and look what we see here. Christ has returned. Christ has what? Returned. This is post-resurrection. He's come as the lamb that was slain. He's conquered. His life was, 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 uh, was taken for us. He came. But what was his, one of his purposes? To set the captives free, and the heavenly beings, look at what they say. Verse 8. 
Now when he had taken the scroll, when Jesus had taken the scroll from the Father, who? The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense with a uh, which are the prayers of the saints, verse 9, and they sang, who's they? Yeah, it's the living creatures, the four living creatures and the 24 elders. Are you with me? Okay? Yes or no? Okay? Again, verse 8 said, now when, they had taken the, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Verse 9, and they, the four living creatures and the 24 elders said, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God for your blood, my version says, but out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, verse 10, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Now, I want to stop there. My version says there, and you have made us kings. Anyone else have that version? Okay. And my version says in verse 9, you have redeemed us. Anyone else have that version as well? Okay. Now, the Greek there is very tricky, and some will think that the 24 elders are people that went back with Jesus after he rose. That can't be true because the Bible says, well, there are people who went with Jesus after he rose, but this is not them singing. How do I know? Because back in verse 8, it says that the four living creatures were also singing it. And last time I checked, I never saw on this earth beings with six wings and eyes all around it. Look at this version here in the NIV. It brings it out a little better. And they sang a new song. Again, who's they? The four living creatures and the 24 elders. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased, and the word redeemed, that'll be key for us, for God, for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made, what's the word? them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Now, the key is the word redeemed. You have redeemed them. Now, the word redeemed means to buy back. What does it mean? To buy back. Now, look at this. Very interesting. The word redeemed in its root means to buy back. But here's the thing. There are different ways to understand it depending on the Greek word. What you're going to learn today is beyond astounding. Why? Because in the English, you cannot get the nuance. We're going to see today that the word redeemed, that is translated as that in the English, when you read it in English, it will say redeemed. But we're going to see that in the Greek, there are different words for redeemed that brings up different aspects of that word that you will never get in the English. But you're thankful that I did my homework. Christ came to redeem or buy back. So you have redeemed. You have bought them back, they said. Praise God. What had God done? He had bought us back. He had redeemed us. That's what the word, word means. Are you with me so far? He had bought us back. What had he done? He had bought us back. Now, the word here in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, which says redeemed, are you with me? 
okay? The word here in the Greek is agorozo. It's like someone who goes to the marketplace and buys or purchases something. They see something they like, and they are willing to give anything to purchase it. Let's say it again. The Greek word here in Revelation chapter 5 is the Greek word agoroso, which means that anybody here ever went shopping? Just a few, a week or so ago, I went, my wife wanted to go to Rooms to Go, and that makes me nervous, makes me nervous, okay? So I'm forced to go, right? I'm going to Rooms to Go. Like, you're not going to go by yourself. I'm going to have to come. You can't go to Rooms to Go by yourself. So we were looking at some bedroom sets because ours is a little old. And we looked at some things, and we looked at some things, but there was just really nothing that caught our eye. So we were not willing to pay anything for anything. Are you with me? But this Greek word here, found in Revelation chapter 5, says that this is like a man who went to the marketplace and something caught his eye, and he was willing to give everything to buy it. And Jesus gave us two parables with the exact same Greek word in Matthew. Go there. Jesus gave us two parables with the exact same Greek word. Take a look at these parables. The word, what is it? Agaroso, agaroso in the Greek, which means one who goes in the marketplace, finds something that he, he just has to have, and he pays everything. And in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gave us a parable with the exact same Greek word. Let's see if you can find it. Matthew 13, and look at verse 44. Matthew 13, look at verse 44. Again, the exact same Greek word is found here. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Man found and hid. And for the joy it, it for and for the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And the word buys in my translation is the exact same Greek word we found in Revelation chapter 5, agorozo, someone who finds something that they will do anything to purchase it. Well, this parable has two meanings, but one of the meanings is that you are the treasure that God was willing to pay everything to purchase it. Yeah, two amens. You were the treasure that Christ said, I'm willing to pay everything to find it, to get it. Same Greek word. Now we see it again in the next parable. Take a look, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and... Same Greek word, agorozo. Guess who the pearl is? How does God value great price? 
I used to work at a pawn shop. I'm not going to tell you the name of it. I don't know if it's important. And people would have to bring in things that they wanted to pawn or sell, and a lot of that was gold. Now, you had to test the gold. You got to test the gold, right? Is there fake gold out there? But can you see it sometimes just with your eye? No, you ha what we had to do, we had to sort of, I'll be right back, right? And we went over here, and we, without, they, they knew what was going on, but we had to saw a little speck behind it and pour some acid on it. If it bubbled green, it was fake, and if it turned sort of dark, it was real. Are you with me? This is Jesus walking in to, let's just say, a pawn shop, and he's looking around, and he says, man, that pearl there catches my eye. And the guy says, this pearl? Yeah. He said, you don't want this pearl. It's dirty, ugly, scraped up. But Christ says, no, I want to look at it. Let me look at it. And he looks at that pearl and he says, I want it. He says, you want this? Well, you can't have this. Why not? It'll cost everything you have. Everything? And Jesus says, I'll take it. I find great value in this pearl. I'll give you everything I have, and all that you can give is your life. You with me? He bought us back. This Greek word is like someone who finds something so special that he was willing to give everything he had to purchase it. Are you with me so far? How does God value your life? Greatly. Jesus, God, gave all that he had to buy us back. His what? His life. Now, here's the thing. Listen. God took the initiative, and he came searching for his beloved. Why would God have to buy us back? Christ was born so we can now have a new master. We can now have a what? A new master. Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. We were captives to the one. But now because of Jesus and him buying us back, because he found so great price in it, we can now have a new master, God. God has bought you back and brought you back to himself so we can now have and be under a new master. You're under a new master now, hallelujah. You're God's property now. Did you hear what I said? You're God's property now. You're no longer the enemy's property. Christ has bought you back with his own blood. He's purchased you again, bought you back. You're his property. And don't mess with God's property. You have a new master now. Let's start living like it. Amen. You have a new master. You have a new master. We have a new master now.
But now, look at this, but now that we have a new master, right? God, Jesus, by principle, not by force, came and purchased us back. Are you with me? We have a new master. We're free from the old master. We have a new master now, God. You're his property. But there were still two problems. The external power of death, are you with me? And then the internal slavery of sin, right? We still have those to deal with. Take a look. But here's the amazing thing. There is another Greek word that in the English we translate as redeemed, but this word has a different meaning than the last, and it's found in only three places in the New Testament. And in the English, you never would have known it. Let me share with you the three places. The first time it's used is found in the road to Emmaus when they thought the Messiah was going to free Israel from the Roman bondage, right? They were slaves to the Roman bondage, and they said, oh, Lord, I thought we were going to come and liberate us from their oppression. Are you with me? Now, look at this. The second time it's used in Titus 2.4. We're going to get the context in a minute who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good work. In the English, it says redeemed, but here's the thing. In the Greek, it's not the same Greek word for Revelation 5 and Matthew 13. It's another that has a different meaning, which is beyond powerful. You with me so far? And the third time it's used in 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your who? Father. So take a look. This is incredible. This Greek word for redeemed that we just saw in those verses means this, to release, ransom from slavery or prisoner, to liberate, to deliver internal and external. The first redeemed that we saw, again meant that God saw such great value in you that he had to buy you back so you could have a new master. Are you with me? But there was still the external slavery of death and the internal slavery of sin. Can you say amen? And the Greek word we see here means to liberate, not like a merchant who goes, no, this word means to free, to liberate, from an internal and external source. The other Greek word, agorozo, meant to buy back or purchase. This one it mean, is, is lotruo, means to release and what? Liberate. So what internal and external slavery did Jesus free us or redeem us from? Let's start with this and internal slavery, power of sin. Go back to Titus chapter 2. Let's look at the context of this word here and what, it, what he's trying to bring out. Again, this is this, the other Greek word that means to del- deliberate and to set free from an internal source. You guys with me? Back to Titus. And let's get the context. Again, this word is found in only three places. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Let's get the context here. 
let's see that Jesus has come, not only is to buy us back that we have a new owner now, you're God's property, but also to free us from the slavery of internal sin. Amen. From the power. Titus chapter 2, are you there? Verse 11. Let's get the context of that verse. Here we go. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Amen. Now look at verse 12. Teaching us. Did you know that grace teaches us things? I've met people that say, oh, well, we're, uh, we're under grace. We're under grace. Well, what does that mean, sir? It, you can just live the way you want. Whoa, the Bible says that we are under grace, but grace teaches us. What? Let's read. What does grace teach us to do? To live like the devil? Verse 12, grace teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And the church said, hesitantly, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us. Again, this is not uh, the one in Revelation. It's this one here that meant to, to liberate from an internal and external source. We keep reading, and redeemed us from every lawless deed. What's the context? Sin. Is not lawless deed led by the power of sin? Yes or no? So Christ says he's come to deliver us from the power of sin. Somebody said amen. Who gave himself for us, verse 14, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Woo! You're free. You're no longer a slave to the power of sin. Now, by God's grace and power, you have the power to be overcomers of sin. Go to, the, go to the book of Romans, chapter 6. Look what Paul says. Romans, chapter 6. We no longer have to be slaves to the power of sin. God has freed us and given us the power to be overcomers. Romans 6. He has set us free in every way. In what? Every way. Romans 6, say amen if you're there, and look at the tenses. Pay key insight to the tenses of these verses. Look, I'm going to read it. Chapter 6, what verse did I say? That's right, chapter 6, beginning in verse 18. Chapter 6, verse 18. Are you there? And having been having been set free from sin. Do you see the tense there? Yes or no? Not you will be, but having been set free. Are you with me? Tenses. Having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You have a new owner. 
You're now also set free from the power of sin. We continue, verse 19, speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented yourselves, your members, as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Look at this. For when you were slaves. Woo! Amen. Do you see the tense, yes or no? For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to what? Next verse. You guys with me? Verse 31. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Look at this. But now having been set free from sin... You have become slaves of God. You have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. Hallelujah. You're free. Christ has now not only purchased us back with a new owner, but now he has freed you from the power of sin. By God's grace and his power and the spirit dwelling in us, we can be overcomers. Hallelujah. Some people claim that, oh, you... They, they use the word, quote-unquote, oh, what are you trying to speak here? You're speaking perfection and all. I'm not speaking whatever. I'm just speaking what the Bible teaches, that God has the power to set us free from any sin. If he doesn't, you're telling me that Satan is more powerful than God. So Satan can lead me into a sin, but God can't free me from that sin? He's freed you. Tell Satan that you're free. I'm free now. Sorry. I have a new owner. I'm not your slave anymore. I'm God's slave. I'm free. God can give me the power to overcome this habit. Are you with me? So look what happens. Let's say that I'm a a thief or a purse stealer. I'm not. Don't hide your purses, ladies. And I steal, and I steal the purse, and God's convicting me that this is wrong. Amen for conviction. I, I preached a sermon once in Tampa, and after the sermon, the woman said, oh, I've never been, I've never, I felt convicted. Like she was saying, like for the, like, like for the first time, she was, conviction is a good thing, amen. It leads us to the foot of the cross. So I'm convicted of my purse stealing. And now, I have no power within myself to keep from stealing if it's such a a besetting sin. But now because I'm under a new owner and God has given me the power through the Spirit if I ask for it, now I begin to ask, Lord, I don't want to steal anymore. Forgive me. And then, I go from stealing purses every day to maybe just twice a week, and I stumble. But here's the thing. The problem is not stumbling. The problem is not getting back up. So God helps us back up, and he's working with us. Lord, I need strength. I need power. You've given me this to overcome, and eventually, by God's grace, that sin is laid dead. Hallelujah. 
But the problem is, we like to resurrect sins in our lives, don't we? But, but by God's grace, that sin, look at this, remains dead, and now God brings to me something else he has to work on me. Can you say amen? And that's the process, and God's helping us and leading us. But because he has now given us the power through the Holy Spirit, overcoming is possible. If it wasn't, you'd be calling Jesus a liar, because in Revelation he says, overcome as I overcame. Revelation chapter 3. Do you believe God has the power to help you overcome any sin in your life? By surrendering and submitting to His grace and His power. Are you with me? Our part is not the power, our part is the submission and surrender. He provides the power. Are you with me so far? Did you also know that God can help you and not fall into that temptation? Can you say amen? The problem is we desire it, so we, but if we begin to submit and surrender, God will help us and give us the strength not to fall into that temptation by His grace. Are you with me so far? Stay with me. Go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll come back to Romans here in a minute. I'm almost done. Just stay with me. Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Keep keep your something in Romans 8. We're going to come right back to it. But go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, this is not a popular verse, so don't get mad at me. I'm just going to read the Bible. Can you say amen? Okay. For those at home, don't get mad at me for these verses. I'm just reading the Bible. Look at the tense again. Look at the tense again. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verse 9. Say amen if you're there. Okay, the Bible says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. God does not condone these practices. Can you say amen? But now look at the next verse, verse 10. Look at the tense. I'm sorry, verse 11. And such were some of you. Amen. What does he mean when he says, he lists all these things and he says, well, hallelujah, such were some of you. What is he saying? That they're not that anymore. That God has helped them overcome the power of sin. Are you with me so far? Now back to Romans 8, and Paul says this. We read verse 7 where Paul said, oh, that what I will to do, I cannot do. You remember that? And that what I try to do, that I cannot do. That was chapter 7. But guess what? People say, oh, you see that? You see that? Even Paul said he couldn't, he wanted to do good but couldn't do good. I know, but guess what? You might want to read chapter 8. Chapter 8. Now look at verse 1 and 2. Same if you're there. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. 
Do you see what he's saying there? He's now because we have the Spirit, the Spirit has made me free from the law of sin, not the law of God, the law of sin. Are you with me? Now go to verse, go to verse now, um, 7. Are you in verse 7? Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. Are you with me? I mean, our natural flesh does not want to follow God's law. Amen. You want to follow the law of sin, right? Okay. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are woo, not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ... He is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of what? Righteousness. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Look what Paul is saying. He says, you, you were once walking in the flesh, but now because Christ has come, he's brought us back, he's redeemed us, he's liberated us, and then he's given us the spirit to give us the power. You were once walking in the flesh, but now you walk in the spirit and you're free. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that God cannot free somebody from any sin. He can free the alcoholic. I've seen it. He can free the drug addict. I've witnessed it. He can free those who are slaves to pornography. I've seen him do it. Can you say amen? He can free those who are in any situation as we submit and desire this. God says, I've come to liberate you. You have a new owner now. You're no longer Satan's master. You're mine. I've bought you back because I love you more than anything. And, we, and he says, you know what? And I'm also giving you the spirit to free you from any internal uh, sin of slavery there. You're free. Say amen if you're with me. We're free now. What are we? All right, let me end this. So oh, it's not working. See how Satan works? Let's pray again, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for being with us, Lord, and I know that the enemy does not like this message. Computer goes out, but Lord, I pray if it's your will that you allow this screen to work again. Be with us. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So listen carefully then. The last one was this, right? We, we dealt with the internal slavery, but we said there was still one more thing, the external slavery of death. Are you with me? And that Greek word now was found one more place. Let's go there. It's found in 1 Peter as we end now. Go to 1 Peter. This is our last one. Now, one more time. This Greek word that mean, meant to liberate, three, found only three places in the Bible, the last time it's found here, and it meant again to liberate or free us from any internal or external source. We saw in Titus to free us from the lawless deeds. And now in 1 Peter, let's see the second part, the external power. Beginning in verse, uh, chapter 1, 1 Peter 1, verse 13. 1 Peter 1, verse 13. Say amen if you're there. Our last thing here. Sweating up here. Woo. I love the Word of God. May you have hope today. 
You're free. Tell the enemy that. You're free. What are you? You're free. All right. What did I say? 1 Peter 1, verse 13. Here we go. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. And rest your hope fully upon the grace. Now, we just saw in 1 Corinthians that grace teaches us to be obedient, not disobedient. Can you say amen? Okay. And full upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As, verse 14, as... Yeah, obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy as I am holy. Verse 17. If you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed, and there's the word. It's not the Revelation 5 or Matthew 13 word. No, no. This is the uh, Lutsuo, the one that means liberate from an internal, external source. You were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. You were not freed by what you do. Can you say amen? But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Verse 20. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Verse 21 now tells us, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. What are you seeing here, Peter? That because Jesus has risen from the dead, he now overcame the eternal death for you. You are no longer under the external power of death. Christ tasted it for you, all we now have is a little sleep in Jesus and eternal life. If Christ had not done it, we would face eternal death. Can you say amen? But because Christ has come to set us free in every single aspect of the word freedom, if we fall asleep in Jesus, don't you worry, God will resurrect you at the second coming. He has freed us from the external power of death. Can you say amen? more and we're done. Hebrews chapter 2. Go a few books to the left. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And then I'll quote something from the book of Ages and we'll be done. All right, Hebrews chapter 2, quickly, verse 14 and 15, the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15, the Bible says. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of the flesh of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release, what's the word? And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to the bondage. Look what he's saying. He says, you're free now. Fear, uh, death was, was a fear because there was only facing eternal death for humanity. But Jesus has come to set us free from that. We are now free from that external power of sin. No longer will we face ever eternal death if you're in Christ Jesus. He's tasted it for you. Christ has redeemed us in every single way you can imagine. Isn't that good news? 
The Bible says in Revelation that then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So, not only did Jesus buy us back like a business transaction, we have a new owner. But he came and set us free from slavery, from the internal slavery power of sin in our lives, and in external slavery, the power of death. Matthew says that Christ was born in the 49th generation, seven sevens, jubilee year, to set us free. Are you with me? I end with this quote, Desire of Ages, and then we're out of here. Desire of Ages, page 131. Look what she says. Never, never can the cost of our redemption be realized until the redeemed shall stand with the Redeemer before the throne of God. Then as the glories of the eternal home burst upon our enraptured senses, we shall remember that Jesus left all this for us. That he not only became an exile from the heavenly courts, but for us took the risk of of failure and eternal loss. Then we shall cast our crowns at his feet and raise the song, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. We won't fully comprehend what God has done for us until we stand there, Christ in heaven. And Jesus left all this for me? Yes. Because you're worth more to him than his life. Knees are going to buckle. They're going to buckle. We're going to take our crowns and place it at the feet of Jesus. Says, "You are worthy. I'm here because of you. Thank you for buying me back in every way." You're free. We're free. We have a new owner now. We're free. What are we? We're free. What are we? We're free. We're free from the internal slavery of sin. You're free now. God will give you the power to overcome anything in your life. Hallelujah. And you're free. You won't ever taste a second death because of Jesus. Does this make sense today? This makes sense today. Who here today wants to say, Lord, I want to choose to have you as my master? Anybody here? Amen. This podcast is a service of the University Parkway Seventh-day Adventist Church in Pensacola, Florida. Our weekly podcasts are recorded every Saturday morning. Bible study begins at 9.30. The sermon begins at 11. You are invited to join us. We live stream the 11 o'clock service. You can catch that broadcast at our website, universitypkwy.org, or at live stream. 
A library of previous messages is available on our YouTube channel and on our website. Thank you for listening.